Today, we're starting a, a very mini-series because we're right before Christmas, but it's called The Best Present is Presence. And if you've been um, part of the church for any length of time, you know that one of our very deep core values is leading people into paths that they are able to experience the presence of God, not just on Sunday morning, but every day. So when you leave this place today, that that the presence of God is a, is a reality as you go to work, as you raise your kids, as you volunteer, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing, that the presence of God is with you and, and, and that that's a, a vital part of your life. And as Mark just talked about, um, we're, we celebrate Advent. We, we make time to recognize Advent, and Advent is arrival. And so what happens before something arrives? So, for instance, our daughter-in-law is pregnant again. So what are we doing between now and when that baby comes? I'm waiting. I am waiting. I am counting down the days. Till this baby comes. We have baby number one and she's awesome. But I'm our, we're counting down the days. You know, kids, what are you doing between now and Christmas Day? You're counting down the days and you're waiting until you can open that gift and see if it's really what you asked for. So waiting is a pretty common practice that all of us have. We, we walk through every day of our lives in different ways, whether it's waiting at a stoplight waiting in line at the grocery store. So those seem like minor things. But what about the waiting that happens um, that's a little bit more heavy? Um, so over the past, actually, it's actually been about two years, the Lord's been um, working in me on this topic of waiting, the seasons of waiting in, in life. So I stopped to think about just things that I've waited for. Um, so I was a little girl, when I and I was raised in the church, and at a very young age, um, I knew that the Lord had called me to be a pastor's wife. So seven years old. I know it sounds crazy, but don't. If your kids tell you, I feel like God's telling me to be a pastor's wife. Don't say ah, uh, no, believe it. Okay. So I waited. You know, I didn't date other guys. I was just like, nope. I know the Lord's going to bring me the right one. So I waited for Mark. That's who I waited for. I didn't know it till he came along, but I was waiting. You know, we waited to have kids. We waited for Callie to become grandparents and have Callie. Um, I thought about, and I was trying to think of something like more recent, um, waiting um, earlier this year. Some of you know I've had some health issues. And like the first two or three months of this year, every time I went to the doctor, they're telling me I have something else. And so I have a connective tissue disorder. I have an autoimmune disorder. I have an endocrine disorder. Um, and the list goes on. But one of those is the autoimmune disorder that I have. And as I sat in the office, um, well, first of all, you know, you know how it's, it's really great sometimes that they let you see your results ahead of time. But sometimes it's not, right? So this was a time it was not really great that I got the results ahead of time. Because it was actually Sunday morning. That I, I found these, I got these results and it was from a cancer panel that I tested positive. So, of course, then I start waiting and I'm calling the doctors and, and I'm sitting, you know, with this doctor, an oncologist. And, um, so he's telling me all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then I said, so 
just to wrap it up, what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you right, that as I'm sitting here, I have 95 to 98% chance of having cancer as I sit here. And he said, yes. Like, okay. So two to 5% chance I don't. So that's good. You know, that's good. But now what? Okay. So as I'm, as I'm talking through this today, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, the waiting that we, we go through that isn't the easiest. Because at those moments, we decide how we're going to wait. And you might say, well, okay, how does this tie into the best present is presence and the Christmas story? So we're going to look at some people from the Christmas story that are great examples of waiting. One is a good example of how to wait, and the other one is a great example of not how to, of how not to wait. Okay, so we're going to start in Luke um, chapter 1, and this is the um, account of Mary. So, and we'll start in verse 26, and it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and her name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even your even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So let's just take a minute to pray. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you, Lord, that what we read isn't just a made-up story um, of, of facts, but, Lord, it's, it's the truth of how you work in us. And so, Father, I just pray that as I, I bring forth the words that you've laid on my heart, that you would help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In your name, amen. So in this in this section of scripture, you know, I think we, we're all pretty familiar. Is there anybody who hadn't heard that story? Okay, so we all know the story of Mary, and, and I think we all have a very high respect for Mary, and we, we see her as somebody to be, um, to be honored because of the role that she played. And Mary is a great example for us in waiting, because in these moments, and, you know, I don't know how long this took, you know, was it a 10-minute interaction? I don't know. But the minute that the angel showed up, and spoke to her. That was when her waiting started. And she had a choice, and a, a, to, she had to make the choice of how she was going to respond in that moment. So she could have run away. Honestly, if an angel had showed up to me, like, I might have freaked out and ran away, you know, like, I'm, something's wrong. But she didn't. She stayed and she listened to what the angel had to say. And then, she said, may it be unto me, as you have said. And she, she accepted what the Lord had given her. 
And so in that waiting, in that moment, everything changed. Because she had to begin, I would imagine, she had to begin wondering, okay, so what is Joseph going to say? You know, the man I'm supposed to marry, what is, what is he going to say? What about my parents? You know, she could have been stoned for, what she, for being pregnant and not married. Um, the shame that she would bring on the family. What about community, her friends? Was she going to lose all of that? And I think sometimes we, you know, we forget that Mary was human. We understand that God gives us grace for the moment and he enables us to take on whatever he calls us to, right? So that's the truth for Mary too, but she's still human. So, you know, do you ever, like when you read this, do you step back and say, you want me to do what? How? You know, Mary was human. She had to ask the same questions that we ask. And she had to have the same emotions that we have. God created us with emotions. So there was fear, because we see it says she was greatly troubled. She wondered. She was asking questions. The angel says, don't be afraid. You know, did she have sleepless nights? Did she cry buckets of tears? I don't know, but I'm imagining. Because one of the lessons that we we learned from Mary, and Mark referred to this a couple weeks ago, but... It's the saying that hurting with hope still hurts. So even though Mary had that hope of saying, you know what, the angel came to me and God chose me, she still had to live out her everyday life. She still had to walk through the the response of Joseph, which we know was initially to just put her away and say, I'm not marrying you. You know, I don't know exactly why she went to Elizabeth's, but I'm wondering, like, did your parents be, were her parents like, get out, go to your cousins, we're just, we gotta, we gotta do some management here, you know, now we're embarrassed and they're ashamed, so go away. Hurting with hope still hurts. And so Mary, in her waiting, what did she do? She did it, we don't see her rebelling, we don't see her resisting. We see her accepting with faith what God had brought to her. And as we read the story of Elizabeth, um, and that's going to be in Luke 1, um, starting in 39, we, we see where she interacts with Elizabeth. And all of us know that story. When she gets to Elizabeth's home, the baby in Elizabeth's belly leaps, and, and um, Elizabeth starts prophesying, you know, blessed are you. And... Then we see Mary's response after that, that um, interaction with Elizabeth. And, and in verse 46, it's called Mary's Song, if you have the headers in your Bible. And it says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So even though she's having to walk through all of the difficulty, she's still saying, I am rejoicing in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his army. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. That is Mary's 
responds. She, she focuses on the truth of, of what God has done for her, and not just for her, but, but other people, generations before her. You know, the section is called the Magnificat, and she chose the avenue of faith to accept what God was giving her. Now, you know, Hebrews 1, 1 is that verse that says, um, faith is being sure of what we've hoped for and certain of what we don't see. That's what she's living out here. She's like, I'm just told I'm having a baby, and he's going to be the king of kings. He's going to be the Messiah. And her life was messy. It got messy. But she chose faith. So now let's look at somebody who waited completely different. Okay? And this is King Herod. Okay? So we're going to go to Matthew and um, chapter 2. And there's not a whole lot... Um, uh, in scripture about Herod. Um, and so there's just three verses. Um, Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, so Jesus is already born, Magi, or the wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And then it goes on to tell what his, you know, what his plan was. So we see with Mary, the angel tells her, don't be afraid, and that she was disturbed at, at the angel's coming. Now, it's in the story with Herod, when the wise men come, he's disturbed. Now, we don't know, you know, there's a, a couple years that happened. They're thinking maybe this was about when Jesus was two years old. Um, when the wise men came. And so I started thinking about this. So Herod is a king, and at this time he's about in the 70s. You know, so he's a pretty, you know, he's getting up. I don't say that's old anymore because I'm getting closer and closer. (laughs) So 70s, not that old. Um, But, you know, so he's in his 70s. He's been a king. um, If you ever want to hear a good sermon on Herod, Eugene Peterson has a great great sermon and he in in his, in his sermon he says it's really a shame that Herod has such a bad rap in scripture because historically he was actually a really great king he did a really a lot of really great things but here we see Herod having an opportunity to join with the wise men be part of finding Jesus be part of you know furthering that but instead he responds with fear now, if you were here last week, you got to see our kids acted out. Darth, is it Darth? It wasn't really Darth Vader. They were calling him something else. I don't remember what. But like Darth Vader and Luke Skywatcher. So they, wasn't that a good play, by the way? But um, they acted it out perfectly because Herod came across just very mean and cruel and kind of cold-hearted. And as I was, as I've been processing this, because honestly, the Lord kind of laid these, you know, the Mary and Herod um, comparison on my heart a couple months ago, and I'm like, what does Herod have to do with it, really? You know, like, the, he's not a main main character in the story. But in my, in, in my processing, and I'm like, I think the better word for disturbed is fearful. That Herod became fearful of a baby. And that's the most ridiculous part to me. That the 70-year-old king 
who people trust and follow, is fearful of a little two-year-old baby. And so what was he afraid of? He was afraid of somehow losing control of his kingdom. That this baby, born king of the Jews, was somehow going to topple him and take away from him. And one night, I'm laying in bed, not sleeping, and and I'm thinking about this, but I'm also thinking about a lot of other things. And the thing that hit me is the same way that Herod responded out of fear, you know, to the point of saying, go and kill the baby. Like, he lied and manipulated and schemed, you know, to try to figure out where is this baby so that I can actually kill him. It is no different than me laying in bed that night. Because I'm laying in bed worrying about situations that are beyond my control, um, things that I want to fix, the questions of what could I do or what should have been done, all those things. And it really hit me that when, when, some, when a situation arises for waiting in my life, I want to fight for my kingdom. I want to maintain my kingdom. I want it to be safe. I want it to be one that I make sure is okay. Now, any mother, and I'm only going to say mother. I know dads too. I'm not saying dads don't. But if something happens to my kid, you know, to my boys, there's a different side of me. Okay? I'm I'm not the only one, am I? (laughs) Right? Okay. So, you know, in our Good and Beautiful God class, we talk, there's a chapter on the wrath of God. And the wrath of God in this book is that he is vehemently opposed to anything that is against him in your life. Well, that's kind of, I'm like, yeah, I get that. Because if something happens to my boys, I am really opposed to anything bad happening to my boys. You know, and so that's where fear comes in, though, and we try to maintain our kingdom in that. So, um, with Herod, his response is trying to control, trying to maintain his kingdom. It was not the, the Mary's response. It was not the the response of saying, "Okay, life might be getting a little messy." but I'm going to accept what you have and walk it out by faith. And so we all have our own little kingdoms in our life. We all have seasons of waiting in our life. And so as we compare Mary and Herod, what can we learn? Okay. So the first thing is that waiting is active. That in our waiting, we are doing something. You know, when we sit, even as if we sit at the stoplight, do you ever just like sit and not think, not listen to the music, not, you know, I don't know, talk to text, you know, like do something as you're sitting at the stoplight? Waiting is active. And Henry Nowen has a really great quote on, on waiting. And it says this, the secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted, that something has begun. Active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. 
A waiting person is someone who believes that this moment is the moment. So, in other words, who believes that this moment, that God's presence is in this moment. So waiting does not mean to stop everything and just let come what may. It's simply to delay action in order to not get ahead of what God's doing in you and in your circumstance. Active waiting is to be present fully to God, to really allow him to be involved in your feelings and your emotions and your hopes and your dreams and your plans and the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, it's not God's plan for us to sit by ourselves and be alone and deal with all of these things and fix it on our own. You know, he's the one who says in his scripture, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. But in these seasons of waiting, when we're trying so hard to cling to what, what we see as our, our kingdom and our normal, I think we lose sight of that. The same way as Mary responded in faith, in our act of waiting, it requires faith. Faith to be sure of what we hope in and certain of what is yet to come. Because we know we have, we have hope for the future. You know, for those of us who, who were here in May and read the book, All Things New, we have a hope. We have a hope that in the midst of whatever season of waiting we find ourselves in, we know that at the end, we're going to be with Jesus. We know that he's faithful from here to the end. And we don't, that, that waiting might be hard, but we have a hope. So we choose how we're going to wait. Are we going to wait actively and be part of and, and invite God into that? Are we going to choose to wait at all? Because some of us can just jump right in. You know, the minute the wise men came to Herod, he jumped into planning mode. As soon as you know where that baby is, you tell me we're going to kill it or kill the babies. But what does he end up doing? He did, he makes a law that all, not just baby Jesus, but all babies, two boys, two and under, are killed. How insecure and fearful must you be to kill that many children? So we all have our season of waiting, and we all choose how we're going to respond. So why why is waiting so hard for us? I was thinking about this, and I thought, if I think about waiting, especially in the context of those harder seasons of our life, it kind of feels like the enemy to us. Because we feel like it's fighting against what we want. But waiting really isn't the enemy. Waiting is actually an invitation you know, Mary looked at her, her season of waiting as an invitation to be part of a bigger story. Her story was a story that would change for all of eternity. It would change all of eternity, but at that moment, it changed her life. It changed her community's life, and it would change the world. You know, Mary probably never had a, a understanding. You know, here we are two, over 2,000 years later. And Jesus is still changing us. So Mary, in her waiting, saw it as a bigger, being part of a bigger story. 
And Herod responded because out of fear because he was afraid of being left out of the story. He wanted to be remembered. And he, he thought his name would be lost. It's, it's here, but he's the Darth Vader. Nobody, nobody really, you know, he, he, it's not good. And in, in our seasons of waiting, um, we, we can think of Job. And we've talked about Mary and we've talked about Herod, but we know the story of Job. And if you recall, I'm not going to, obviously Job's a very long um, book, but if you go and you look at the life of Job, we see in the first two chapters, he loses everything. So here's a man who has everything. He has a wife, he has a family, he has cattle, he has power, he has reputation. People respect him highly. And all of a sudden, in just one day, it's gone. And it wasn't gone because he did anything wrong. It was He was gone because Satan says, can I... He's only serving you because he has all these things. And God says, okay, go ahead, because he is blameless. He's pure and holy. And so we go through the whole book of Job with his wife and friends who try to comfort him and bring counsel to him. And we see how that goes. You know, his wife says, curse God and die. Um, But what do we see from Job? In Job 1... We see initially his first response is, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So the minute that he's getting all this news and his waiting is starting to see, God, what are you doing? How how are you going to take care of this? How are you going to give me strength to get through this? How, how, why, how, you know, all the questions that come. His response is, the name of the Lord will be praised. And then if we look in Job 14, and this just struck me, um, this, it was, Job was actually a book on a silent prayer retreat um, we had this year. And I read, I was reading through the book of Job. And when you get to chapter 14, it says this. It says, all the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. And that really stuck out to me. And so I went to the message version to kind of see, you know, kind of what what's beyond that. And it says, all through these difficult days, I keep hoping, waiting for the final change for resurrection. In Job's waiting, he chose again by faith to put his trust in God, to walk through the the deep, deep grief and sorrow that he had to go through in order to get to the point that we see at the end of Job in chapter 42 that says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's the thing about these seasons of waiting, that we fight it so hard and we don't want it, but on the other end, we can see God so clearly. We can look back and see, this is how God provided. This is how God strengthened me. This is how he, he, he placed people around me to encourage me, to strengthen me. He um, just tangibly provides things. And we see that in the life of Job. And like Job, waiting, these seasons of waiting for us are an opportunity. 
it's an opportunity for us to see, and I guess it's a revealer, to reveal to us whose kingdom are we living in. Am I living in my kingdom, or am I living in God's kingdom? And the way that we, we respond to these seasons indicates that. You know, when, when um, you know, at 4 a.m. on Sunday morning, when I got these results about this autoimmune thing, what did I do? I immediately began researching um, it. Um, I kind of obsessed a little bit about it. I started calling doctors and like, okay, primary care, who do, where do I go? What do I do? And I had doctor appointment after doctor appointment until I got to a place that I had an answer. Now, and I shouldn't say I have an answer. I don't have the answer because right now I don't have, I don't have cancer. I haven't been told I have cancer, but they're telling, but I see an oncologist regularly and I have lab work done regularly. So seeking help isn't, isn't the problem. But the way that I responded first was, Call, 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 go, go, go. And then there came a point where I was like, you know what? I need to just sit with the Lord on this one. And guess what? The Lord told me, you're not going before I'm done with you. Okay? That's just how it is. And I have to trust him every day that that's going to be how it is. And so it's a revealer. As humans, we're not going to be perfect. But part of the, the purpose of talking about this today is to bring an awareness to say, when I, when something happens, where do I go? Whose words do I listen to? Who do I trust? You know, recently we've, we've gone through this, um, this stage where we've had a lot of deaths. A lot of you have lost parents. Some have lost spouses. Um, some people have gotten really bad health diagnosis. Where do we go with that? Where do we go when our kids are struggling and we can't fix it? Where do we go when we financially hit a place where we need help? Do we, do we go internally to our own kingdom or do we go externally to God and say, I trust you. I want you to work. Waiting is also an invitation to just invite him in and sit with him. And this part, you know, we don't really like sitting because, I don't, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I like to fix things. I, I like to be the one to serve and to help and all of those things. Richard Rohr um, describes the space as it's called liminal space, and he has a really gr- great quote on this. Liminal space is a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. It's when you have left the tried and true or what you know, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It's when you are finally out of the way. It's when you're between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. If you're not trained 
and how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run. You will run to anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. And, you know, back, I'm sure in the days of Mary, they didn't have a term called liminal space. But essentially, that's what Mary did. She went to this liminal space of saying, I know this. Life is comfortable over here, and this is how I can deal with things. But you're asking me to go here. And so the space in between of from the angel's appearance to the day she the day she died because in reality Mary never never was able to get out of a season of waiting with her son you know she got to watch him grow she got to have encounters with him where she saw him as the son of god and function miraculously and she got to, she had the agony of watching her son be led to the cross and stand there as he died she did get to rejoice in his resurrection. But then he was gone. Now what? Now now where did what happened with her waiting? Her waiting ended when she got to heaven and she got to see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And our waiting may never ever come to an end aside of heaven. But we can trust that the God that we know, that the God that loves us, has a plan and a purpose. And we have the ability, we have the privilege of seeing the, the whole Bible, you know, from beginning to end. Mary, Herod, Job, you know, they don't, they didn't have that. And we have the, um, the, the gift of knowing some of the scriptures that they didn't have the ability to know. And I was thinking about how to kind of wrap this up today, and I thought about a book that I read this year, and it's called Through the Eyes of a Lion, and um, the author is Levi Lusco. And he uses a term in his book called Cue the Eagle. And I want to share just an excerpt from his book with you today because he says it way better than I do. Um, but in our seasons of waiting... We can cue the eagle. We can look at God and say, you know what? I need you. And so I want to read this today, and then I just want you to, to think about how this could play out in your life. Um, I'll just give you a little history. So the author of the book, he has four daughters, and um, one of them died very suddenly of an asthma attack. It was just a, a fluky thing. It was a couple days before Christmas. And, and so his book is basically his story of how he got through that. So this is what he has to say. He said, there's a scene somewhere in the nine hours of the Lord of the Ring films. And I'm, if I don't say these names right, like I don't watch many of these films, so movies. So just bear with me, okay? So there's a scene somewhere in the nine hours of the Lord of the Ring films where Gandalf the Grey is about to be killed but is saved at the last moment when an enormous eagle swoops in and carries him away. Something similar happens in one of the Hobbit movies. A bunch of vicious werewolves have the little dude with hairy feet and his bearded dwarf friends trapped in a tree on the edge of a cliff. So I hear some of you know this movie. Um, they're about to fall 
when a flock of eagles comes and whisks them away to safety. It's a beautiful picture. The eagle, not the hairy feet. So keep those pictures in mind and read this carefully because the devil does not want you to know this. As a blood-bought child of the King of Kings, you have the right to cue the eagle anytime you need to. Listen to this promise as it appears from the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. This Holy Ghost jetpack is exactly what the Isaiah prophet said we have access to. We don't have to send moths out of a glowing magic staff as Gandalf did to call for our assistance either. When our spiritual batteries are running low, which for all of us they do, right? So when our spiritual batteries are running low, all we have to do is wait on the Lord and ask him for strength. God promises that help will flow in response to such a request. And this strength is not something that you might need. There's no doubt you will need it. Isaiah said that even the youths will faint and be weary. The young men will utterly fall. Young people are those with the most strength of anyone. They represent the buffest among us. They do CrossFit and P90X, and they get up the next day like it's not a big deal. Whatever. (laughs) But what Isaiah is telling us that even they will run out of gas. The struggles and hardships of life are more than anyone can bear, no matter how thick your skin is or how many verses you've memorized or how high your pain threshold is. Even the best of men are men at best. Your heart will fail. Everyone has a breaking point. Let's look at the lives of those we would consider to be the strongest characters of Scripture. Take David, the man after God's own heart. For decades, he held on to God's promise that he would become king. Then he gave up and moved to Goliath's native country where he worked for the Philistine king and fought the wrong battles. Abraham, the father of faith, had bad days. He once ran away from the promised land and lied about his wife being his sister to protect himself. Why? He was afraid. The apostle Paul begged God three times to take away a painful trial that was far too heavy for him to carry. Elijah, the mightiest of the miracle-working prophets, had a total emotional breakdown when a woman cussed him out. He ended up running away from from his home, hiding under a tree and wishing for death. The prophet Jeremiah got so stressed out, he told God he was never going to preach again. And then there's John the Baptist. Jesus said that he was the best person to be born of a woman. And he had such a crisis of faith in prison that he doubted he had made the right choice in baptizing Jesus. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. You've got to cue the eagle. I discovered that in moments when I was stumbling, if I called on the Lord and strengthened myself in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus, I could rise from the heap on the floor with renewed power. The Holy Spirit would re-energize me and give me what it took to keep pedaling through the pain. And that's what we can do in our waiting. We can cue the eagle. I can't tell you the amount of time since I read this book Things come up, and my first thought now is, okay, God, i got to cue the eagle. Because I cannot do this. I can't. I want to be the pile on, I want to be in the, the heap on the floor. 
but the invitation is there. So we can choose to be Mary and say, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust and invite God in and live in his presence. Or we can be like Herod and say, I got my kingdom and I'm going to fight and I'm going to scheme and I'm going to plan and I'm going to have my way. And in the end, we will lose every time. And so today as we close, I want us to do a little um, a spiritual exercise. I'd like us to close our eyes. Because I know that there's not one of us here that is not in a season of waiting. Our seasons of waiting can be good. You know, we have people in here that are going to have babies. And that's exciting, and that's a season of waiting. But we also have people in here that are waiting for some hard stuff. They're waiting for the grief of loss to get easier. They're waiting for the season of waiting to figure out what God's calling you to. And so I just want us to take a few seconds just alone with God and say, God, show me my season of waiting. And in that, invite him into it. So, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you are so well acquainted with every one of us in this room that you know our season of waiting. And, Lord, all of us are different all of us feel different, we respond different, we're in different parts of their journey with you. And Lord, what we want to do right now is to invite you into all of that. Lord, my prayer is that every one of us in this place would choose to be Mary's in our season of waiting. That, Lord, we would listen for your voice. That we would not resist what you're doing. Lord, that we would cue the eagle at the times that we say, Lord, I have no clue what's happening or what's going on. And, Lord, for those of us in this room that find it easier to just protect our kingdom, to just kind of fight and fix, and do our own thing. Lord, teach us today, Lord, to be like you. Help us to understand that you are fully trustworthy, that you're our Father, that you just, Lord, like, like parents just want to grab their children and hug and cuddle and snuggle and make things better, Lord, that that's what you want to do that you want to teach us. And so as, as we continue just to have our eyes closed, how many of you in here today say, I just want to cue the eagle. I just want to say, Lord, this is me in my season of waiting, and I acknowledge that I need you, that I need to wait upon you and allow you to renew me 
If that's you today, just put your hand up as a sign of faith, saying, God, I really need you in this situation. Father, we just thank you that you know. Lord, that in these moments, I'm going to stop talking, and we're just going to worship you and invite you to have your way. And Lord, just speak to our hearts today. Give us a confidence in you, Jesus.